This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show. And I'm your Tomos, Jeff Greiner. And in this surprise round, we're going to travel the mists to the domains of dread as we discuss our first impressions of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Our traveling companions this time around include the newbie DM, Enrique Bertrand. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me on, Jeff. Hi, everybody. Uh, Glad to be here. Happy to be here. Good to have you. Uh, Also, a recent guest for our Fit for D&D show, where we talk about our um, efforts to, our geeky efforts to get in better shape. Uh, Michael Ross from the RPG Academy podcast is here. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to be back. Thank you so much for bringing me back on. Absolutely. And El Warrios, the Spanish language D&D streamer, YouTuber, apparently writer, freelance writer as well, we're hearing, uh, and everything else. Uh, Welcome back, Mario Ortegon. Thank you. I'm aiming to have like a new job title every time I come up on the show. (laughs) A new new title, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be like... Uh, you know, uh, Daenerys, like having all of the <laughs> things. Up Mother of me. Dragons, is that your Mother of Dragons, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, I'm super uh, glad to be back. I have a lot of fun uh, having these chats. Uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, in this episode, we are discussing Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It has been many years since Curse of Strahd came out, although it had a premium version recently released. Uh, but some of us old school, school gamers were wondering, if Barovia is back, what about the other Domains of Dread? As they were called back in 2nd edition, when Barovia was but the first of many horror-filled domains, with their own Dark Lords ruling over them. With this book, Watsi has brought back the domains, and with their return, uh, an update of some, the absence of some, and some new ones added in for good measure. Uh, As a reminder, in Surprise Round episodes, we get our first impressions of a book out very quickly after the book is released, or in this case, it is actually the day before the book is released. Um, with the understanding that we probably haven't done that deep of a read-through. We definitely haven't played it. uh, And then, if needed, we'll revisit the book later, you know, months later, years later, whatever it takes after it's been out a while and everybody's had a chance to really dig in deep or play through things and see how it actually works at the table. Uh, Before we dig in, I do want to remind folks that... um, In the case of this book, I believe all of us are working from review copies. So none of us paid for our books. Is that correct, gentlemen? That is correct, though I am buying my own copy anyway. Okay, there you go. So I like to be honest with folks so they they can make their own decision whether or not we are being influenced by that fact that we've all received free copies from Wizards of the Coast. So let's get into it. This is Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. I brought my my normal cover um, version down with me um, because I always send the special edition covers to my co-host Tracy, but it always, it, it never goes quickly enough. To, the mail can't get stuff to her quickly enough to be able to have her join in. So I wanted to start off before we start getting into what this book is. I think it might be telling um, for people to understand sort of our perspective, our history, our background with the domains of dread, 
um, and Ravenloft in general. So, so let's go around and everybody talk a little bit about sort of what your history is with the Domains of Dread, with Ravenloft, etc. Uh, who wants to go first? So my experience with Ravenloft is, uh, I'm going to say limited. Uh, I am not one of those old school gamers who played through the uh, original first edition module, the, the Tracy Hickman module. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was not my experience. My my introduction to Ravenloft came with the Domains of Dread second edition box set. Um, I had that box set, and I had a few of the supplements. I, I really can't remember which ones. I have them back there in the box. I don't. Ravenloft was was awesome in in theory. When I first bought it, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I didn't really play it much. Um, maybe a few times here or there, but it wasn't something we, we we tended to play a lot. And it certainly wasn't something that, you know, took over our campaigns and, and sort of, you know, became the thing to play. It was maybe once or twice, maybe three at most, and we, we sort of dropped it for, for something else. So uh, I guess, you know, my experience is I own some of the products. I own the core second edition product. I think that box set was probably the core product at the time. And that was really it. I didn't really do much more with Ravenloft past that. Okay. Uh, Michael, why don't you tell us next? What is your background, your history with the Domains of Dread and with Ravenloft? So almost nil. Uh, you know, I've been gaming since Redbox. I Through Osmosis, I am familiar with Ravenloft. I've heard about it. But pardon the pun, I heard a lot of horror stories about it uh, back in the day. But I've never ran a game set in Ravenloft or any of the Domains of Dread. I have played one time, and that was in 5th edition, for a podcast guest appearance. I I played one session. It was like a very self-contained adventure. And that was it. I actually didn't know who Van Richten was when I got this book. So I'm definitely a newbie in this case. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mario? Uh, yeah, I well, I started playing D and D in general on third edition, and the first time that I uh, played uh, Ravenloft was also third edition. I think I I can't remember back then, but I, I know it was like uh, one of those booklets that they did. It was black and white. Um, I think it was just called Ravenloft uh, or Domains of Ravenloft or something like that. Um, uh, you know, back then I did play a campaign. I never. I never DM'd one, which um, I mean, I, I didn't like do a deep dive, deep dive into lore, but I, I kind of like was familiar with, you know, the themes and some of the names and stuff like that. And the first time that I actually started, you know, digging into it and DMing and stuff like that was in fifth edition. Um, so that was that was when I, you know, I started getting acquainted with a lot of the old stuff. Um, but yeah, n- no real practical experience before fifth. Just kind of like familiarize with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I um, for myself, I I played the actual Ravenloft module a lot uh, back in the day. I started playing D anD D with Second Edition, and I had a tradition for several years where we would play Ravenloft, the original uh, uh, Tracy Hickman. I think it was was it Tracy and Laura, his wife. Um, yeah. That, that did the original and so I played that every year around Halloween and I would kind of take notes about what they did and then the effects of what they did would, would play out you know in the next year so you knock over that statue uh, one year the next year you go back and that statue is, is 
placed back up, but it's got cracks and things in it from when it fell and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so those little hints were there. Uh, but I, uh, And I was very aware of the Domains of Dread. I only ever played a little bit with... Um, there was a module module called Die Vecna Die, and the whole idea was that Vecna himself was trapped in one of the domains of dread, and you had to go there and kill him. Um, is is kind of what I recall. I never finished the module. I owned it. I played it. I DM maybe a session or two, and it never really went anywhere. Uh, and I otherwise, yeah, through discussion, you know, I grew up a, a kid that was steeped in D&D in the 80s and 90s, right? So uh, you, a lot of discussions with nerdy friends were around D&D stuff. And so I heard all about things, but I didn't even own the Domains of Dread box set that um, that Enrique uh, mentioned. So I was aware of things. I knew the domains were out there. I knew the kinds of Dark Lords that were in them. But really, uh, it sounds like all of us are approaching this not with a clean slate, but with a uh, this is our primary interaction so far with the domains of dread. Does that sound fair? Sure, For me at least, yes. Okay. Yeah. So then, let's get into it. Then, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Um, what is this book? Does anybody want to tell us a little bit about what what we're dealing with here? You know, it, uh, Enrique, you've, you seem to have something to say. I, I, I well. I've had thoughts about it. I've been tweeting about it. I, you know, I did one of my Twitter flip-throughs about it, and then I've been reading the book over the past week or so. So I've had some, some experience with the book. Um, first and foremost, I, I think people should understand that we get into a lot of conversations about lore and history and that sort of thing. This book is not a continuation of any previous Ravenloft. This book is not a sequel to any previous Ravenloft. This book is a reimagining of Ravenloft. So mm. if you're coming into it fresh. Um, that's fine. There's really no baggage with this book that you should be aware of um, as far as Ravenloft is concerned. It, it, it's a reimagining of Ravenloft. It changes many things about the original Ravenloft's uh, setting, the Domains of Dread. But none of that stuff is important. If you're coming into it for the first time, you're fine. So I just want to – people I, should understand that. I, I think it's fair to say you're fine if you're coming in with a clean slate. I think yeah. there are many – there are a lot of efforts – in this book to reference the older things, yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, Aslan and, and, you know, Jander, uh, Sunstar running around and, and a bunch of these other NPCs. Like there are a ton of references that I think if you are somebody who has that background, you're going to, you, you could very easily treat it as sort of an update. You could treat it as a continuation. Here's what's happened to Darkon since, since, Second edition or third edition or whatever. Yes and no. Okay, explain. Yes and no, because there's some there's some domains where the main characters have been just completely changed. Yes. So for so for example, the Frankenstein equivalent is completely different from what used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they gender flipped Frankenstein and they gender flipped the Doctor, and it's kind of it's a whole new it's a whole new thing, right? Mm-hmm. In second edition, Van Richten, the, titter, uh, the, the 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 character of Van Richten dies in second edition. Like the last Ravenloft product killed him. And, you know, he came back in fourth and fifth edition. Um, so it's a reimagining. It's really not a sequel. Like, it's, it's, I suppose it's, very, much an, it's very much an updated Ravenloft that doesn't right. really – that's not held down by baggage, you know. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's fair. I think, I think, um, I think you're right. I, but I also want people to understand, like, like I, under, 
I can absolutely read this and use it as is, but some of the things that are done in this book, some of the references that are made in this book, um, are richer and more meaningful and more interesting if I have some of the baggage, you know? Uh, I, I'm specifically thinking of Darkon, right? I'm thinking of Aslan being gone. Um, and, and like, you can play in Darkon having no idea who Aslan is or, or was. But it's not... I don't know. It didn't come off as interesting to me unless you knew who Aslan was. And then Darkon becomes a way more interesting setting to play in. Does that make sense? No, that's fair. It, it's fair, but but if you don't bring that with you, it doesn't... I, yeah, no, I think you can use it without that background. Um, but I think some things are more interesting if you have it. And But most of the book, I think, kind of stands on its own, like you described. You don't need that background at all. And I think their intention is that. Right. I mean, it, I mean the, the story of Strahd, when, when Curse of Strahd came out, th- that wasn't a sequel to I-6. That was just a standalone, updated... Yeah, it was it was right. a reimagining of I six. It's a reimagining. So I think yeah. the whole domain has been reimagined. Even though even the geography is different. Uh, yeah. In second edition, it was a continent. In this, you know, they're all standalone little. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because because yeah, you could find in second edition you could find a map of all of the domains. Yeah, yeah. In the box that sit. had a map. It, yeah. Was, Whereas this one, it's there's just like each domain stands on its own. Yeah. Most of the domains have their own maps, but like there's no discussion of how you know this one is close to that one it's just an issue of like if you want to travel from one to the other you need to have what do they call it, a talisman from the domain you want to go to uh right. and then it just takes 2d6 hours it doesn't matter that like there's no set distance it's just you know you travel the mist for 2d6 hours with this talisman and then eventually you come out in that domain yeah assuming that the dark lord of the domain you're leaving has opened the borders right so, okay, so is, uh, you had other thoughts, Enrique, to, to keep going with us um, on what this book is? I think it's more of a story setting book than uh, than anything else. There's some mechanics, obviously, but I think the amount of lore and story stripped of mechanics, just the story is is the sum of the book. Um, most of the book is, is the domains chapter and everything else is secondary. Um, you could play... If you really wanted to, if you really wanted to, and you were in love with one of the domains from second edition, you could easily play that domain written as is in second edition and just take that Dark Lord and apply one of the stat blocks they ask you to apply from the monster manual here. And maybe we'll get into that later, but the Dark Lords in this book don't have stats. They point at a monster in the monster manual. So it'll say, use the vampire stat for Strad or use the so-and-so stat for so-and-so. So you could, if you really like the version of, you know, I don't know, whatever domain in second edition, and you want to play that one, you could easily do it in, with this product. And a lot of those um, old books are still av- are available now on DMs Guild, and you could buy yeah. the old the old products and and play it the old way. Um, yeah. No, I think you're right, and, and I and I agree. I think it, this is predominantly a setting book. It's yeah. not entirely a setting book. It's also kind of like a how-to book. Um, it's really in in some parts. It's really about like just how do you create horror adventures yeah. uh, and stories. Um, the, you know the the whole second, like you said, mentioned like the bulk of the book is really focused on describing these different domains. But 
it's framed around the idea of, hey, let's tell you what a domain is. Let's give you some, some ideas and some tips and advice and mechanics on how to build your own domain. And then we'll give you all of these other domains as samples uh, is, is sort of the way they frame it. They're not, um, they're not intended – they're not framed as this is a setting book. It's framed as here's a bunch of examples of domains. But, man, there's so many of them. It's obvious they're not really samples. It's, it's them giving you the settings, right? Yeah. And so it, it also has then – it has how do you make a domain. It has the how do you build horror. It talks about different genres of horror that you can build from. Um, it, it also has uh, character creation um, options, right? There's there's um, backgrounds and a couple of subclass builds. What Bard and Warlock each get a new subclass build. Um, yeah. Dark gifts. Uh, I'm cur- and then the lineages, which is an interesting. Um, tweak update change or whatever to to what would normally have been uh, new races right with, with the caveat that you could use lineages over a race so it basically yeah. sits on top of the race and sort of supersedes whatever was there mm-hmm. on the race so you could turn your dwarf into a whatever they're called i don't uh, I have uh, memorized a, a dampier dwarf or a, right or a, a hex blood yeah so so my first thought when I saw the lineages is it before I read deeper is I thought they they were trying to transition to a new way of talking about races and, yeah. and transitioning to calling them lineages but it but they reference races within it when I looked closer right yeah 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 I don't think it 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 uh, is kind of replacing races mm. um, I mean at least yet. But I mean, if they were trying to replace races, they wouldn't mention, you know, the word, the wording right. in the right. yeah, in the lineages, because uh, it clearly states that you know, if you have a race, uh, uh, you know, that the lineage supersedes uh, the the race, as you're mentioning. But um, yeah, I was I was actually really interested in in how they were gonna end up. I mean, they they did the an Arthur kind of uh, a few months back, but I I was curious about. You know how they how they were going going to implement um, you know these options, and uh, if they were gonna be exclusive or like. My main worry was that they would be very intrinsic to Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. Then that in the sense that they wouldn't be able to be adapted to other stuff uh, like uh, Everon, for example. I think that many of the Everon things are super, you know, out there and mostly only fit in Everon. Um, and I, I I think you know that the in I think some of them fit in other things, some of them don't. Many of them kind of I like the approach that they took in in going for genres of horror and not necessarily like you know going this is this in Ravenloft and this is where it fits. You know they they kind of like try to adapt it and and place it in. Um, genres of horror and they focus on that up until the point where you go actually go and start flipping through the you know the the domains which i thought was super interesting and mm-hmm. makes that section of the book you know useful for other things it wouldn't surprise me if the lineages term became the term for race i don't know i'm not convinced that's not where they're headed yeah, yeah. 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's it, not that makes sense. the slow transition they're aiming for. Yeah. Um, I do like the new uh, Dark Gifts. Um, okay. I, I like that they give, you know, real sort of pros and cons, and they're mm -hmm. super interesting. Um, what they did on Curse of Strahd, they all kind of were traps in a sense. They all mm. were like, oh, you get this, but something really horrible happens to you. And, right. and then your character is evil and you lose control of it. Uh, and, and the dark uh, gifts in Curse of Strahd, the, like, the, the good part for most of them was temporary, but the bad, yeah. but the bad part was permanent. It was right? forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like this new implementation and I think they do give uh, a chance to have something interesting and not be, you know, a gotcha moment for the player that mm. you can you just add something interesting to a character. Yeah, on, on, on yes, on one hand, yes, absolutely. On the other hand, like if you are accepting a gift from a dark power, or in this case, they describe it as the dark lord bestowing these gifts, right? Um, which is a bit of a change from Curse of Strahd, like. Curse of Strahd did not describe Strahd giving you a gift. It was the dark powers themselves that created Strahd that gives you a gift. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, if you're making a sort of this dark pact, it kind of makes sense to me that, like, that could go poorly. Like, it seems inevitable, right? It yeah. should. It yeah. feels like it should <laughs> be inevitable. So, so I hope that it's not um, it, that they don't come off as new interesting character quirks and and whatever without you know having the cost that one would expect from a horror story and making a dark pact right no i don't think they do i think they made it so i mean to me they feel like you know in uh world of darkness systems you know how you how you pick like backgrounds and what are the bad ones called? I can't remember. I mean, you pit, it's been you pit, 20 years since I played World yeah, Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff and bad stuff. And, uh, you know, that's that's how you make a character there. And that's kind of how it feels uh, here. Uh, they do give you advantages and disadvantages in certain things. And, and yeah, it does make sense from a story perspective that, if, you know, if a character gets this, you know, that... that their demise is inevitable, but at least it's interesting until it gets there, right? <laughs> That's the point. So the one thing that I know um, feels like it is – it comes out of uh, or is a, a usage of sort of concepts that we saw in um, – was it Tasha's uh, when it comes to the lineages is that they're kind of like laying on top of your race. They're kind of replacing your race. Um, and they give, they replace the ability stat bumps, but they kind of like in the Tasha's, you know, create your own origin style, um, all three of them. And the three are, um, Dampier, Hexblood and Reborn. Um, all three of them are flexible. It's just get a plus two in something, get a plus one in something or get a plus one in three things. Uh, and it's completely your choice for every single one of them. Uh, what do we think about that? The last section I read when I get these books is the player section. Mm -hmm. like, that <laughs> stuff just makes my eyes glaze over. <laughs> um, I really don't. I, I don't. I can't even phrase an opinion right now about it because I, I haven't even given it too much of a look. To be perfectly honest mm -hmm. with you, uh, I'll say in general, I'm a fan of that. 
as someone who likes to play sub-optimized characters almost exclusively, I like the idea that mm. I can play what it seems to be in the counterintuitive combination, but it not be so terribly underpowered that I'm a burden to the other players, even if I'm not as good as maybe the classic versions. So I'm all for decoupling some of these options and making it viable for unusual pairings, even if that's not its true goal. I think that's what it does or and mm-hmm. offers. So I'm all for that. I have no problem with it. Yeah, I think when people have concerns or had concerns anyway when they did this in, uh, as an option in Tasha's, the concern wasn't for people who were playing suboptimal. It was because it's a it's a boon to the min maxer because they can mix right. and match the racial abilities with the stat bumps that are going to make them the super character, right? But they were doing that already, anyways. Well, so, yeah, you know, I mean, so they get like one small possible betterment, where those of us who don't do that have a lot more options. So mm-hmm. I think you're playing to the majority there. Hopefully, I think as as a non min maxer myself, um, so I'm yeah, you know, I'm all for it. But I, I mean, obviously, the, it's, it's still going to be the DM's purview to mm-hmm. say what can and can't happen, and they could even you know, the in an individual campaign could say you can or can't use this, or if you do use this, you still can't get more than this high. You know, your maximums are still 18 or 20 or whatever the case may be. Um, so there's definitely ways to, to control it if that is a concern, I think. I agree. I think the... the um, I wish it would be kind of like more involved instead of picking up the stupid one, like have a table or something related to the background of the character that would be perfect. But um, you know, this is this is kind of the easiest thing to do and the most straightforward. I I know what they're why they're doing what they're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's uh, I actually like it. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm I'm torn right because the idea of live elves and and tough dwarves and what have you like that's iconic to what those things are in my head um and the ability bumps tell that story right um but i also get why they're doing it and i get like i'm also at the same time i'm oftentimes that player who, who wants to be the exception, right? And this is the thing that lets you be the exception. So yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm real torn on it. I, I actually, um, my favorite approach to allowing some racial variability but still having some racial themes is what they do in Fantasy Age um, and in the Age system where, where you, you know, there's a table of four sort of features and you have two out of these, what is it, six tape, six features or whatever. And so there's themes, uh, and, but there's also variability within the, within the races that way as well. Um, but, but that's not D&D. That's a different system. I don't, uh, Enrique, you played uh, Dragon Age a decent amount back in the day. Do they do that in Dragon Age as well? I, don't, I was trying to think of that now when you were talking about it. I don't remember Dragon Age being that way. I don't remember okay. picking uh, racial species. I, don't, I forgot what they're called in Dragon Age. I think they're called species. Okay. I don't remember. But I don't remember picking from a list. I yeah. think you had your set things, and that was that. They did that in when they took the age system and they converted it to fantasy age, the, their sort of generic fantasy um, system. I love um, the age system. They did that. No, I, I, yeah, I, I am in my ample free time uh, at the end of the semester. I am in the process of 
um, converting a bunch of Eberron stuff into the age system because yeah. I want to run Eberron when I finish my current big campaign. I want to do a, a short run of Eberron, but I also want to play with the age system. So I'm yeah. you know I'm figuring out what a Warforge looks like in age. I converted Star Wars to age. Did you? Uh, many years ago, I did. It came out actually. Yeah, I'm gonna toot my own horn. It was pretty good. I th- well, and I think the age. I mean, not to get too off track from Ravenloft, but I think the age system does sort of pulp um, yeah. storytelling well, and Star Wars is kind of a pulp story. So, so uh, I want to set a question here about the Ravenloft book. Yes, let's get back. If to you that. don't, if you don't mind. Sure. How much of a campaign do you think you could mm-hmm. run with this book? And is the book missing tips and ideas for what a Ravenloft campaign should look like or how high should it go or, or, or where should where should you start or end a Ravenloft campaign? Yeah, that's it's interesting. Something I've been, it's something I've been thinking about a lot, yeah, not just so, in regards to Ravenloft, but just in general. I think so, so here's the thing. I think there are things this, – this has been on my mind as well. Because oftentimes I will read these books and I was like, aha, here's the story I'm going to tell with this book, right? Um, and I think in this case, like, you can do – you could just pick your favorite domain. Use this as a starting place. Tell your story and do a whole campaign, which is basically what Curse of Strahd is, right? Um, but you can also do a story of you are people native born to the domains you have formed this group and you are and you know how to travel the mists right you know how to get around um and so you could sort of run from from domain to domain picking up talismans uh and and experiencing different types of horror um there's not like there's when they when they give you like here's how you can travel the mists I feel like that's the kind of story they're encouraging, but the, I, I don't think there's like actual advice as to how to put together that story, right? I think in each sample domain, they have a little section on, that, that I feel like is, is a, um, a simplified version of that chapter from the Ravnica book. There's a in the Ravnica book. There's this whole chapter of here's tables and and ideas. You p- piece them together, and here's how you put together an adventure in Ravnica. Right? They kind of did a little mm-hmm. miniature version of that for each domain. You know, here's the kind of adventures. Here's the kind of plots that might be going on. Here's what you can do with it. Right? Um, but there's not sort of cross domain plots to deal with. They kind of leave you other than traveling from place to place. They kind of leave you on your own to figure out what happens when you go from one domain to another. Right. And, and like, what kind of stories to tell? Right. What's a level twentieth character supposed to do in Ravenloft? What's he hoping oh. to do? Sure. Yeah, and that's one of the other things. Like they get they, out. Well, that's true. <laughs> leave. <laughs> yeah, leave. Um. Yeah. Was, well, there's a few answers to that. One, they explicitly talk about like use these stat blocks from the monster manual for the Dark Lords. Right. The mummy guy is just a mummy. Well, not a mummy lord or whatever, right? Um, They're saying don't like, you know, there's a temptation there. You want to make Strahd like a super vampire, but don't. Like just use the stat block that's in the monster manual. They're hard to kill anyway because they always come back, right? Um, And there's a... So, again, I'm interrupted. That's one thing I definitely want to talk about at one point is that aspect. But please continue. No, no. Well, I was going to say, I don't... 
I don't know that I like that. I want, you know, Strahd isn't a vampire. Strahd is a vampire who's also like a level whatever wizard and super smart, right? Um, you know, and I, I want the Dark Lords to be a physical threat. And, and it goes to Enrique's question of like, how do you go to a high level game when you reach level 15 and you can trounce every Dark Lord whose domain you wander into, right? Yeah, I, for me, trying to, again, parse this because I don't have any history with it. This book doesn't read to me like a recipe book. It's like a cooking class. Like this book doesn't tell you do these things and you will have a Ravenloft dish. This is more like, hey, let me teach you some aspects of cooking for this particular type of food. And then you can make whatever you want using your own type of ingredients. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there is a such thing as a Ravenloft campaign. I think there is a, an adventure, like a four or five level, you get pulled by out of Eberron through the mist, you get pulled out of Greyhawk through the mist, you deal with a Dark Lord, just one, and then you hope to survive and get out. Whether that's good or bad, to me, mm-hmm. that's what this book is telling me to do. Because I didn't like any of the stuff about moving dom- like domains. I just That's not going to happen in my game. If, if I run this, you're going to get pulled into one, you're going to deal with one... Dark Lord, you're going to hopefully survive and get out. Because the thing that I thought was interesting, I don't mean good or bad, but interesting, is they said the Dark Lords are immortal. Even if you defeat them, they just come back. Right. And that there's some, you know, again, very gothic horror tragic about that, that no matter what you do, it doesn't actually fix anything other than temporarily. And I think there's something to be mined there from like a psychological aspect of, you don't fix Barovia. You don't kill Strahd. You survive because eventually he will come back. So you just want to get in and get out. So to me, that's what I think that's what the book is telling me. The top. It's not going to be a campaign. It's going to be level five to seven, maybe five to nine, because I don't want you to be powerful enough that Strahd doesn't worry you. Right. The moment you show up, I want you to be terrified the entire time. And then you want to get out and be like, oh, I cannot believe we survived that. I, again, I don't even really want you to find that's Michael aspect, of course. There's about a hundred pages of domains mm-hmm. in this book. Maybe a, a little lot. More. Yes. Maybe it I might read be that over last because it was so much. Yeah, I was surprised. And short of mm-hmm. short of a few charts for you to roll on, you know, random charts to create adventures and mm-hmm. stuff like that. These things have no mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All flavor. No, no mechanics. It's all flavor. All flavor, which I found interesting. And see, to me, I think this is just the book saying, this is how you make your own. I think Jeff talked about that earlier. So you can use one of ours or you can make your own. And I think this is definitely a, a cooking class on how to make horror style adventures. And for that part, I think it does a pretty good job. I, I do like a lot of the aspects about consent you know again i think a lot of times myself included back in when i was a younger dm the way that i terrified players was to do awful things to their characters Mm -hmm. without their consent and it wasn't scary it was just cruel and so i like that they put that up front you know how how do you do horror but still make it fun and they give you like i didn't i don't know if i'll ever run a ravenloft campaign but if i run horror type adventures i will definitely use lots of pieces and parts of this book yeah, there's, there's a lot of good advice. That's for sure. A lot of good advice. And it has a decent bestiary, too. Like, the back of the book has mm-hmm. quite a few monsters in it. But but mechanically, 
short of the player options, there's really not a whole lot going on in this book. Well, no, no. I mean, you got the player options, you got the monsters like you just talked about. uh, And that's pretty much it. That's that's the I mean, everything else is pretty system neutral. They, yeah. they kind of have a stress mechanic that they don't actually explain. They're just like, you could maybe track a stress, but they don't really tell you what to do with those numbers mm-hmm. or what those numbers actually mean. But because, again, they wanted to get away from like fear and insanity, some of the old you know, holdover psychological mental health issues that really aren't, right. you know, good. Um, but I don't think they came up with a great alternative. They just tried to do away with the, sort of the bad version they had from previous editions. They wanted but to, again, to, that doesn't to, bother me. It's just right. if that's what you're looking for, then this is not the book. For yeah, you. They, they, wanted like, to sa- they wanted to satiate the people that were looking for it without actually doing it. And the stress mechanic, if we're going to get into that a little bit, the stress mechanic sort of goes against what they were doing with 5e in the first place. When 5e, you know, first came out and they came up with the advantage-disadvantage mechanic, the whole point of that was to avoid these little bonuses of a plus two here or plus five there. You know, it was kind of to wrap it up in the bow of the advantage-disadvantage. And the stress mechanic basically says for every point of stress, that's a negative to your role. So now, you know, they bring back the the the, the penalties to the to the die rolls for the stress mechanic. I don't think it's all that great, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm, I'm not crazy about the stress mechanic, but... To each their own, I guess. I, I think the idea is that, again, this is supposed to be different and it's supposed to be terrifying. So if you add it just in this horror aspect where you get these negatives that sort of accumulate, I can see how that would be, you know, noteworthy. But I don't know if it's something I would ever carry over to a non-horror type game. And even I don't know if I've used it anyways, but right. I, I guess I see what they're going for. Whether they executed well is debatable. But You, you remember the... Um, you remember the... Um... Oh, what's it called? The 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 condition track in Star Wars Saga Edition. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It had it was a cool mechanic that your character was kind of on a track whenever uh, they took a condition. I feel like this is you know halfway there, mm. and they sort of mm. didn't they didn't get to it in time or something, and they just sort of said, "Oh, we'll just go with a penalty." Yeah, um, I, I'm. I, th- I think I'm kind of inclined to ignore the stress mechanic, or in other systems, you know, insanity mechanics or whatever, right? And in this case, if I'm playing Five E, uh, I'm going to lean into as a DM uh, building the narrative where you know there's more opportunities to make poor choices and and wearing you down and use the the exhaustion rules to sort of simulate the, you know, you've had three sleepless nights because you're afraid of the the terrors that are out there in the dark sort of thing and just otherwise ignore the stress mechanic i guess you know yeah it's it's okay i mean eh, it's not great it's just it's just really hard to simulate horror with numbers i mean you have to do you have to do uh you know the narrative part and that's that's why i you know that's why I think they went more with the, um, you know, mechanic less descriptions and stuff like that because if they start quantifying, you know, how, you know, I don't know how horrible a certain uh, domain is, it starts losing that, I don't know, mystique, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see, you know, I can see some people wanting specific, you know, numbers and specific mechanics to deal with certain things 
Um, I thought one of the one of the domains, uh, Kalakiri. I don't know how to pronounce Kalakiri. Uh, okay. Has, yeah. Uh, yeah, it has a mechanic built into it, which is kind of like for renown, because the domain is all about um, treachery. Yeah. So you build you build sort of trust with one faction, and then the other starts starts hating you more, and eventually. You know, they become your sworn enemy, and and, and you know that I, I thought that was interesting that they were trying to do something different. Yeah. Um. I don't know if if they've is there anything like I, it, it? It kind of sounds familiar to me in the sense that Adventures League does it with the factions. Is well, there's that, a there's a renowned mechanic in the DMG, and they've built it into right. Adventures League and a few of the other adventures. Yeah. And, and this keys off of that. This is that basically. Right. Right. Uh, but for for Ravenloft. Well, it's that, but it's also it's not just you gain renown in one faction, but as you gain renown in one faction, you lose it you in lose another. The other. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and I and I think you you're pointing out that um, domain brings up an interesting point in that there is a pretty wide like none of the domains that are described feel similar to each other in any meaningful way. Right, like I could make an argument that that the Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk feel very similar in a lot of ways. I don't feel like any of these domains are similar in the same way. Um, they're all tying into different genres. They're all telling different sorts of stories. Um, some of them, you know, you've got you've got Barovia, the the classic sort of vampire story in the small. Eastern European village sort of in the valleys of the mountains and what have you. Um, but you've also got the, the political intrigue stories and you've got the, the mummies rising up from the desert sand stories. And you've got uh, what corrupting magic stories. And you've got the, the cosmic horror of the, of a mind flayer dominated domain. And, and there's a lot of variety here. There is. And I think, I think a lot of, like when I look at the credits page, because oftentimes I, I will do that, it looks like they have gone out of their way to bring in people to add perspectives that they don't have at the company um, to help make that feel more true, if that makes sense. Like it seems like they went out of their way to bring in people that were going to specifically – help those different types of genres and those different types of stories and settings feel more authentic. Yeah. I, I also, well, I, I'd like to get your opinion on something. I, you know, I, I like it, but I could see why some people wouldn't. Mm. Um, so the domains, all of them have sort of a certain inspiration based in real world, real world culture, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sidebar that tells you like, Hey, characters in this domain have, you know, Indian names and characters in this domain have Mesoamerican names mm -hmm. and they, they spell it out. Um, the, the inspiration that they, that they're taking from, um, I like that, but I don't know if, if, you know, if that, if that feels, cause to be fair, like looking at the, for example, um, Balachan or Balakan, I don't know how to pronounce uh, the the domain that has Mesoamerican references. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Va Valachan is, is what I would Valachan. say, but I don't know. <laughs> I think it's Valachan, yeah. But, well, that one specifically, 
it you know it it does say that it had that it has Mesoamerican references in the names, but none of the names sound Mesoamerican to me. Okay, <laughs> so I don't know how true that is. Um, maybe it's only true for characters, and it's just suggesting for the players to to you know or or the DMs to take this inspiration, and it's not actually reflected um, on the on the setting itself, but. Yeah, that that is the one that I have a context for. I don't know how the others fare in that regard. Well, and part of the trick is that I don't have enough of the background. I like I don't know if that is a domain that existed in the previous incarnation of the domains of dread, and it was. There, and it, is it is one it was. And yeah. so in that case, I imagine that is happening because they are playing off of the things that were there then that were written by people who didn't have anything more than an encyclopedia injury, not even Wikipedia at the time, right? Yeah. An encyclopedia to, to pull from uh, as their entire background in Mesoamerica, which of course begs the question, then why tell a Mesoamerican story if you don't know anything about it? But that, that, That's a Mystica problem. Right. Where the name was chewing I always go back to that. <laughs> right. No, it's, it, no, I think you're right. I think it's the, that's, I think the exact, and that's what was what I was thinking of. It's the exact same issue. It's that you had, it, it's, it's founded, it's built on a foundation of people who didn't understand what they were referencing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be fair, looking at, and there's no Hispanic name in the credits, by the way, just throwing okay. that out there. And that, that says something. Oh no, I'm oh. lying. There's a Whitney Beltran. Yeah, this is Will Whitney. Sorry. I, yeah. Whitney Beltran is Hispanic. My bad. I apologize. Um, but yeah, like, looking at, at Valachan specifically, like while I don't see the influence in the names, I do see it in the setting. Okay. Um, just you know, I I throw I throw I, throw, uh, I thought I'd put it out there because you know the the names may seem kind of like weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, out of place for for the 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 culture that is trying to um, or that it says that it's it's inspired by, uh, but the setting is actually really interesting. And that this is the one. Well, this is one that they took something that was different before, and they kind of like right. overhauled it. Um, previous incarnations of this one specifically, uh, oh. I believe there was another vampire who just came and mm. and like conquered. Uh, the lands and there were were panthers, the the native people of this of this place. Okay. Uh, and then the new dark lord, basically, is one of the people who was previously um, oppressed, and they rose and took took down the the previous dark lord, and they became the new dark lord. Sure. Um. So yeah, you know, doing that stuff, that kind of like harkens back to previous, mm-hmm. um, it, what you were saying before that having the context of. Of what happened before um, gives you the idea and the ground groundwork for. Well, the, and, for yeah. The, so I wonder if that's yeah. If, I mean, if if they're trying to, it's interesting the. Um, it's interesting the approach they take, right? Like we had this conversation at the very beginning that Enrique brought up that um, that they are attempting to sort of be a reimagining of the domains of dread but they're also definitely building on and in some cases building a continuation of 
the former incarnations of the Domains of Dread. So in this case, like, they may have reimagined Valachan, but they've done so on the, um, on the foundation of the old one. They didn't completely just reinvent it from scratch. And so they pulled in the old names, all the things that, that the old fans of it are, are familiar with are kind of there, but then they, they gave it a more, a more interesting, more uh, updated sort of spin to, to what that setting is. Right. Uh, they did the same thing with, um, um, Oh, what's the one that, uh, Darkon that Aslan was from, right. Aslan is no longer there. Right. Uh, and, but that's also part of the story. Like Aslan is no longer there and there is no dark Lord and the domain is slowly collapsing. And so it's kind of got this, this, uh, natural disaster horror thing going on. Um, right. you know, and, but that's clearly a continuation of the former story where Aslan was trying to, to escape, uh, his domain. And now the story is that he has, or at least he's disappeared. Right. Uh, and it's and, also just, again, if you're trying to like teach someone how to make their own domain, right. here's an example of a domain without a dark board so that you know that that's at least a possibility that you could also play mm-hmm. with. Uh, so that's actually one of my favorites that I like because I didn't read them all in okay. depth. I, I do love the idea that there's one that's there is no Dark Lord, but the absence of a Dark Lord becomes the ultimate power because everything is collapsing. Yeah, everything's falling so I actually apart. thought that was a very cool twist on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot going on here and there's a lot that has my attention and has my interest. And I don't know. Like, like maybe, and I, I think uh, Michael had mentioned, like, this is the kind of thing where you might pop in for a few levels, play play an adventure in one domain and pop back out. Uh, I could see, like, I read these books and, and I, I start building stories in my head. And I have this story that crosses from domain to domain, but I don't know what the sort of the meta plot and what the point is, right, uh, at this point. Um, but definitely, like, historically... I think traditionally sort of the domains were oftentimes used exactly as you described. At least that's my understanding of them from um, second edition was primarily like you popped in and then you survived long enough to escape. And that was the entirety of your, your trip into the domains. But there's a lot of interesting and they bring in up like there's a whole like other domains that just covers a few pages where they bring in a bunch of new ideas. Uh, so, so there's all kinds of new things there. Uh, you know, I like the the fact that they brought in Eberron. So you've got the the train, uh, the morning rail, the lightning rail that was leaving um, Sire uh, just as the morning happened or whatever. Uh, and that they've brought yeah. in all kind. You know, here's just this this wide variety of different things you can kind of play with and do things with, right? Is 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 that section all new domains? The the other domains of dread? I wasn't sure, but. There's a lot of wild stuff there. <laughs> I know they got rid of the domain where Lord Soft lived in the yeah. Sithicus, the, the one that sounded like a Star Wars thing. Yeah, I, I was kind of, because I'm kind of like Lord Soth was one of my favorite uh, Dark Lords. <laughs> so uh, he's, he's, he's gone. Well, he's gone, but I wonder why, right? Um, I'm not forgotten. Right. I'm wondering <laughs> if, um, if, well, if they're not. I mean, we know that we we know from news things that they're working on some Dragonland stuff. So I wonder if there's right. not Lord Soth plans in that, and they wanted to not tangle him up in this. Perhaps I always found him not to derail, but I always found him a little too close to a Darth Vader uh, proxy. Oh yeah, indeed. And then that whole Fis- Sithicus thing sounds too much like Sith Dark Lord of Sithicus. Like, come on. sure. <laughs> 
Um, that sounds intentional. But, but to go back to the idea of not getting tangled up, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the one of the NPCs, and I don't remember his name, and forgive me, uh, the NPC who appears in Avernus, the elf. Yeah, Gender Sunstar. Yeah. So in this book, he's also here, mm-hmm. right? Which begs the question, where, when does this take place in relation to Avernus? But they have an out in the story yeah, they, here. They, 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 built, they built a... They built a a trap door so they can yeah because basically um it could be anywhere you want if well <laughs> right and if you've if you've done if you're an old school fan uh who may have re- read some of the old second edition ravenloft novels right gender sunstar has a history and i didn't even realize this when he showed up in descent into avernus until people started talking about this book and then i did some reading um, but Jander Sunstar has been a lo- around in D&D lore for a long time, uh, has been an, uh, a, a beloved character, apparently, by some people. And people were upset that, like, they did him wrong in, in Descent into Avernus. Like, he went out like a kind of like a chump, right? He didn't get his moment, right? Uh, and so this, this book was sort of – because he was – at least in part, a Ravenloft character, this book sort of gave them a way of like, oh no, look, see, Jander's here too in Ravenloft, and here's our reason why, and it turns out there's all kinds of Janders out there doing their thing, and who knows which one is the real one, and does it matter? Right? <laughs> yeah, I found yeah. that a little little odd. It's kind of like, oh, we gotta include him, how do we do it? He's already in this book. Ah, magic. Wee. <laughs> yeah, isn't like people who are native to the domains um or that become entangled with the domains in some way, they, they can also just like I mean they, they happen whatever happens with it. Like for example, so because Bar- Barovia, for example, they it, it restarts, right? And there's several versions of that Tatiana and stuff like that, but yeah. So well, and that ties yeah, in uh, uh, DM, I don't know if it, or D&D, uh, PTY party, I'm going to call them D&D party, uh, asked earlier if there's new stuff for Barovia um, for, um, uh, you know, for, that wasn't a Curse of Strahd, right? And, and yeah. Enrique said, well, not really, it's only a few pages, but kind of, because there's also this, like, whole thing about what's going on with Arena or Tatiana, you know, how, in what form is she coming back? There's all these different incarnations that you can have and different ways that she interacts with Strahd. Like there's a couple pages of new stuff that isn't in Curse of Strahd dealing with sort of what happens when she reincarnates and, and different stories you could tell there. So now there's yeah. some very cool art. I do like a lot of the mm-hmm. art that's in here. So does anybody have any plans to actually use Anything like is there? Do you have a current campaign that you're going to borrow from? Is anybody inspired to run a Ravenloft esque game using this book? What are what are people thinking about that? So my current campaign um, escaped from Ravenloft. We ran Curse of Strahd, you know, about four or five levels ago. So I don't think I'm going to be pulling out anything with it right now because right now, like Act One of my campaign was Dragon Heist, Act Two was Curse of Strahd, and Act Three is is more homebrew but it's 
tying off this this like now the dark powers have escaped because the they were brought back to the realms in the amber temple and they got away and uh, now they're the big bad guys right and so going back to ravenloft just doesn't make sense necessarily mm-hmm. right now because all the dark powers are gone or maybe it makes more sense i don't know i don't currently have plans to use it <laughs> they're high enough level that i don't think the the dark lords would be much of a challenge for them anyway right so I'm currently running a 13th age game that just by coincidence has a lot of horror elements. So as I was saying, I think I mentioned before that there's things in this book right. that tells me how to do things that I've made up myself for 13th age. And so since I'm already running kind of a horror esque game, I don't know that I'm, I want to jump into another one right away. Right. But the first thing that came to my mind is wanting to run an Eberron game. That's basically Eberron meets the TV show supernatural. Okay. Well, where there are like goblins in the world, but there aren't like, uh, you know, demonic forces, these like supernatural creatures type, you know, horror type creatures, but they are spilling in from these domains of dread so that, you know, you just go into like a random village and now there's a, a werewolf there. Uh, our heroes probably have dark gifts, that, but they're not in Barovia or in the dark mm-hmm. domains, but they have them now. Again, kind of supernatural, the TV show. And they just keep going village to village, fighting all these supernatural horrors. Eventually, at a high enough level, they would go into one of the domains to figure out why they're leaking over. So that would be probably what I'm thinking is Eberron meets Supernatural, the TV show, with Ravenloft as like the final confrontation of some sort. Mm-hmm. So that's what, it's, what I was inspired to think of, if not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I, what I really like about this book? I love... There's two things I really love about it. One, I love the the explanation of the different categories of horror mm-hmm. and yes. how you can create different types of adventures and different types of stories using different types and categories of horror. I agree. And two, I really enjoy uh, the world building aspect of how to create your own domain, how to you know what a domain looks like, what what goes in, what type of stories you could tell in a domain. The, those sort of things, I I really think those would be the things I'd probably get the most use out of mm-hmm. if I were to run a Ravenloft book. Uh, um, sorry, Ravenloft game. Because I'd probably like to experiment with creating my own homebrew domain if I'm running a homebrew campaign as it is. You know, okay. the, It's not like we have any baggage anyways. My group really has no attachment right. to any of the old Ravenloft stuff. And see, so I, think, I think I would want to play with the domains that, they, that exist, but that doesn't make the how to create a domain section any less useful because I, you know, I want to use an, an existing example that's here, but by understanding the advice and the ideas around how to build a domain, it helps me understand what they're trying to do in the, that domain and how to play it well, right? And so I still think that that section is really useful, even if you're using one of the existing domains. I'm just going to keep pushing my metaphor that it's not a recipe, it's a cooking class. It's a cooking class, right? Yeah. Uh, Mario, did you have any plans to, to run some Ravenloft after reading this? Uh, I don't know if run it. But we will definitely we will definitely bring it in our campaign for sure because mm. we have a, a game that started with Curse of Stride in fifth and it's still going. And because of the way it started, it's a stream game and the audience liked the tone of the game of the kind of like the gothic horror a lot. We finished Curse of Stride and moved on to Ghost of Saltmarsh, but we kind of kept the spooky gothic horror th- tone more or less. We weren't in, in Ravenloft anymore, but, you know, the characters were sort of, like, marked by it, I guess. And the, the, you, you just dragged that that uh, sense with them. Um, 
we're playing Avernus now, and you know, it's still kind of like we're we're giving it a horror spin. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably, you know, that set of characters is getting pretty close to twentieth level. Um, we are right now. I think we're in fifteenth, and about halfway through Avernus. You know, modified, of course, because sure. that adventure is not for that level. But um, yeah, maybe I think it, it would be you know the right way to end that campaign would be to go back to the to the Ravenloft, right? To that would be kind of like the you know full full, full circle, right? Absolutely. As I say, um, but yeah, probably. I think, and I think it's also interesting. Like, I think I don't remember if it was the third or fourth edition version of Ravenloft of Barovia specifically where. Uh, for whatever reason, they kind of abandoned the idea of the mists and the domains and being on a different plane. And they just sort of said, here are some ideas of where you could put this on different worlds. And it was just a valley right. in, in an actual, you know, on one of the settings. Uh, but it's, and, and like, I didn't like that because I played old school Ravenloft and being trapped is part, yeah. of, the, part of the horror. But setting that aside, like, if the trappedness isn't, the thing you're trying to build up, like I could totally see taking some of these sample domains and just sticking them in my world. Like here's just a, a cursed, doomed a region, yeah. region or kingdom or whatever in in your world, and and play up the other aspects of the horror of the horror setting that aren't being trapped. Right? Okay, you can get out, but you're abandoning all these people, and what's going to happen to them? You know. Um, so I think there's some usefulness there, even if you don't want to deal with the plane traveling and domains of dread. So, okay, we have gone yeah. over an hour. I want to ask people: Do you have any last thoughts? Anything you wanted to say about this book um, that we haven't gotten to yet uh, before uh, we close things out? The 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 survivors mechanic. Yes, talk uh, about survivors. So- Survivors, to me, they're very similar to what sidekicks are in the Essentials box. I think it's the same mechanic, uh, just phrased differently. If, if Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it seems like it's the same concept. Uh, so you could take yes. survivors and you could take survivors and run a one-on-one game with them. Uh, uh, plug incoming, like I did with Mike Shea's Life Flourish, that we ran a one-on-one mm-hmm. uh, Dragon of Icepire peak uh, using a companion for my PC uh, here, you could do a one-on-one game with a, uh, you could have a scribe or you could have a, uh, uh, an apprentice, a, a sneak. Uh, the, the, there's four apprentice, disciple, sneak, and squire, not mm-hmm. a scribe, a squire. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, my read of that was a little bit different. My read wasn't that the survivors were sidekicks that would join the party. It was a, we're going to run a one session where instead of playing the characters you normally play, you're going to play these dopes. And they're going to get ran over by the werewolf, so that when you when your characters show up next week mm. to find the village decimated, you you as a player already know everything that your characters will learn through investigation. Uh, so I, that's how I read this: like you would play them instead of right, but, a but, character for a small period, not as a tag along. But if they have the same mechanic as a survivor, you, as a sidekick, know. yeah. I'm sorry, as a, as a sidekick from the yeah. box that you could assume that you could run as a sidekick if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. I think you could do that. I just don't know if that's what the intention was. So they only yeah. go up to third level as opposed to the sidekicks that, that go up more. Yeah. But I kind, I kind of envision it as like we're out in the wilderness and we we defeated the the werewolf uh, uh, pack or whatever, right? But, and we, we found a survivor, but it's going to be 
several sessions and maybe several levels before we get back to where we can bring this survivor that we found to safety. Um, how do we make them somebody who's who's not just a, a, a commoner with one hit point that's going to die the next time there's a challenge and, and, and make them somebody who can contribute, but they're not going to be around for very long because there's only three levels of survivor <laughs> to, to have, right? Uh, so, so give them, you know, make them a survivor, throw these mechanics into it, and they've got a little bit more to do than just always be the non-combatant that runs and hides every time there's a fight. Yeah. You know, I... One of the things, one of the uses that is suggested for survivors and is for out-of-body experiences for the characters, which mm -hmm. I think sounds very interesting, which, uh, I mean, your level 15 character suddenly is a level one sneak. Right. <laughs> so, well, there was even, yeah. there's even a, I think it's the Mind Flayer setting. What's it called? Blue, blue it or something? Yeah, it's like Blue Star, Blue, blue TR. Blue Spur. Uh, so yep. Blutspur has this whole like um, missing memories thing going on where like your characters are just missing periods of time because the mind flayers are, are messing with your head and, uh, and, and they suggest like you can run, um, you know, de-leveled or weaker versions of the characters as flashbacks when they start to recover some of these memories here and there. Uh, and th mm. that might be a, a place where using the survivor mechanic would make a lot of sense too. Let's do this flashback to when you were, you know, you were in the village as a, as, as a teenager and just trying to survive. And there's this thing that happened that now you've just remembered that you forgot about before. So it might work really well for that too. Yeah. All right. Any other last thoughts? Um, one final thing that I wanted to point out was I, I like how much they delve into describing Dark Lords, because if you, if anything, I mean, they can be used as, I mean, it's basically a villain book full of villains. Yeah. All of the Dark Lords, basically, they could be a, you know, BBEG for any party, and there's a lot of them. Um, so... They they go in through through history motivations you, you know they give you the everything that you need to role play them, um, and I thought that was another cool aspect of the, of the book. Well, and honestly, like who the Dark Lord is is probably more important than any of the like domain features or locations or right. whatever. Right? Like if I'm playing Curse of Strahd, it. I can I will do a better job of portraying Barovia if I understand Strahd than if I've learned memorized a bunch of information about Velaki, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Velaki is just well, not nearly as important as Strahd is in terms of setting the tone of what that story is going to be. Yeah, uh, I guess for me the kind of the final word is like you know should people buy the book? And it, I'm gonna give it a, a resounding maybe. It depends <laughs> on what you want from it right. uh you know if you like the idea of that cooking class metaphor that it's going to help you run other horror types of adventures it's going to help teach you how to build maybe a bbeg for your own campaigns and give you a lot of fluff then i think it's worth it but if you're looking for a recipe where you can take this book and then run a ravenloft adventure i don't know that it does that in fact, i'd say I, I do know that it doesn't do that right i think if you want to run horror stories it's a great book to buy uh, whether you're running Ravenloft stories or not, if you want to run horror stories, it's a great book to buy. Lots of inspiration, lots of things that you can just tear out and put into whatever game you want to do, whatever, right? Um, yeah. I would definitely say that. 
any thoughts on the alt cover versus the regular? If, if you had your druthers, if there was no difference in cost, which one would you prefer? Well, I always do the regular covers uh, because I like everything to look the same on my shelf when I'm looking at the spines and the alt covers don't. So mm -hmm. I, always send, I always send the alt covers to my co-host, Tracy, uh, and I keep the regular covers. Um, other than that, although the, the alt cover is really cool looking, it's interesting yeah. that, I don't know, like you've got the giant face on the alt cover that I assume is supposed to be Van Richten. But it kind of looks like the mayor of Velaki from Curse of Strahd, uh, not, you know. And, and so, uh, in some ways, the action shot is uh, Esmeralda, and so she becomes center stage on the alt cover. Um, Wasn't Van Richten? Van Richten comes out in Curse of Strahd, right? But he's like a, he's like in disguise or something. Yeah, he's there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His, his, his story in Curse of Strahd is really weird because the party can just go all the game without really knowing his right. verdict. <laughs> it's just weird. You know what I really, I like the monsters in this book. They're, they're kind of cool monsters regardless of whether you're going to play in Ravenloft or not. Uh -huh. I agree. They're, they're neat. I like them. Well, and some Actually. of them, like, what is the one I'm looking at here right now? This the one that's... War, like the War Ravens and uh, the Nosferatu. I opened up to the to the zombie page and you've got this this art of giant zombie. Basically a zombie a zombie made up of a collection, a swarm of other zombies. Which is interesting yeah. because like that's an interesting monster that Kobold Press has already done a couple times in their monster books. If you if you're using the Toll of Beast or the Creature Codex, um Kobold Press has already done this. And uh, in the back of the book, you got a Ravenloft inspired Ouija board type thing. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for Beatles and Grimm to release this as a prop in one of their box sets. Oh, well, it's going to happen. And, and Wizards put it together as a prop. I don't know who got what versions, but um, some people who got early copies got one with an actual uh, spirit board, as they call it. Um, yeah. I was not one of those people. I, uh, neither, I neither was, was I. I. <laughs> so there we <laughs> are. <laughs> no, but I think it's. Uh, I didn't get it either. But I think it's the one that Wizards did. It's basically. I mean, it's a, it's a carbon. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, wait, how do you say cardboard? Cardboard cut mm. cutout, right? It's just I, like I a know. thin uh, paper thing. Yeah. And the one. I mean, I assume if Beetle and Green does something, it'll be like an actual thing. Right. Yeah. Right. That would be super it, cool. It just seems like something just, that they would put in one of those boxes. It does. Yeah. It seems like if they do a Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft box, which yeah. I imagine if they were, they would have already announced it. So I don't know that they yeah. currently have plans to. Right. So. Right. And I know how to get on their press release list. Oh, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I've, actually, I've, inter I've interviewed one of the founders and tried. Uh, he Listen, said he, I, I, he, said he put gonna, me on the list and that it never happened. So <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. They sent me the uh, the Curse of Strahd. Um, yeah. They sent me the Curse of Strahd box. That thing is amazing. I, I bought the Descent into a Furnace one. Actually, I bought two and it sent one to Tracy, and, and then we did a review of it. Um, you know, it's really cool. And now I'm running through it and I'm realizing it's yeah. not quite like it's about 90% awesome. But then there's like, yeah, but now like 
there's major encounters and I don't have maps for them. But this is a whole other thing, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I feel like if I'm spending $500, I want a map for pretty much every single encounter in the game. In the no, I can, I can say without a doubt, and, and they're not, you know, I'm not shilling for anybody here, but that right. Curse of Strahd box is a fantastic product. Oh, good. Excellent. Fantastic right. product. All right. I was pleasantly surprised. Well, mo- most of my time playing Curse of Strahd has been virtual, so I'm glad I didn't spend the money on it because we did Curse of Strahd in the pandemic and all those props would have just sat here in front of me and looked pretty. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Unless anybody has anything else burning, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Okay. And that is the end of this episode. I want to thank all the listeners who support us by sh- uh, by uh, being patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, such as Hyperlexic, Merrick Blackman, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelshay, Doug Palmer, and I feel like I'm missing somebody. Um, we also want to thank our guests for joining us. Mario, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you can find me on uh, as Elwarius or Elwarius if you speak Spanish. Uh, everywhere, uh, Twitter, Twitch mainly, but you know, if you search Facebook, you'll probably find me. All right, Enrique, where can we find you? So you could find me on Twitter. I'm at at NubiDM on Twitter. Um, that's really the only social media presence I have for my D and D stuff. There you go. I'm always on there though. So if you reach out to me on Twitter, you will get a. He is a always reply. on there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Michael, what about you? Uh, I'm Michael, and I can be found at the RPG Academy. For much everything I do can be found there. So if you search the RPG Academy, you'll find me. Very good. And and the RPG Academy is a podcast that you do. Podcast, stream, Twitch, the whole nine yards. Absolutely. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. The show is at The Tome Show. We also have a Facebook page and a Discord channel if you want to come hang out with us. Uh, We've got a nice little uh, Discord community. I like that it's at a size where we get to have good conversations, but it's not so much that it gets lost. Um, And that's our surprise round episode where we we rode the terror train all the way to Horror Town as we discuss Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft in this episode of... I'm on the wall.